Good morning, church. Good to see if you have your Bibles. Hope you uh, have them with you. Go ahead and turn with me to 2 Peter, uh, chapter 1. Our goal would be to finish out chapter 1 this morning as we look at um, 2 Peter. Um, what a great morning of remembering. A morning of remembering the, the gospel. And that's exactly where Peter is headed in this part of chapter 1, to remember, to recall all that he has told us so far. And so Peter's aim here is writing to establish and to strengthen and to uh, stabilize Christians who are being uh, faced with you know, persecution and with apostasy and false teaching that is moving its way in. And so now he's writing to really strengthen them in their faith. And so week one, as we got into this, we saw Peter encourages believers to know that God has supplied and empowered us to live a life of godliness. So he's equipped us. And so he wants to begin his letter by encouraging the church and saying, listen, you've been given everything you need for a life of godliness. God has provided it for you. He's equipped you with everything you need. He's given you his very own Holy Spirit to indwell you and to lead you, to guide you, and for you to follow him in all those ways. So, so week two, Peter instructs that we would make every effort to bring the virtues of godliness given to us in Christ to the surface. So if you've been equipped with everything that you need that pertains to a life of godliness, why don't you make every effort then to bring those qualities to the surface of your life? So pursue these things. Paddle hard is what I said last week. Paddle towards these areas in your life. Because God's sovereignty and our calling to salvation does not eliminate our responsibility to participate in a life of sanctification. This is what we said last week, that God sovereignly called us equipped us, he gave us his spirit, but it does not get us off the hook of participating in that responsibility we have to, to, um, to pursue him in godliness. So, so how do we do this? Well, this week, week three, Peter reminds us of the gospel because it is the gateway to godliness. So really, he says, let me, let me now remind you of the gospel. Because really, this is where it, it all holds. So the, the message this morning is remembering the gospel is the gateway to godliness. So this morning, we've already had a time of remembering. That's why as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. This is why we partake of the ordinances of the Lord's Supper. Because as we partake of that, we're remembering the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We're remembering that his body was broken and that his blood was shed for us. And so we now have a right relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. Let us be reminded of this. Now, I, I think about this as we're, as we're singing there, the, the time that I sat in the theater and I watched The Passion of the Christ. Now, clearly, I, I knew the story, right? I knew, I knew where the, the movie was going, but I could not control the tears as I watched that for the very first time because I was reminded of what Christ went through for my salvation. Peter now is going to say, let me, let me remind you. Because remembering what Christ has done is the gateway to godliness. Memories have, they're, they're pretty strong, aren't they? Maybe there's certain things that trigger your memory. Maybe it smells. Any, anytime you smell something, you're like, oh, that reminds me of, you know, if I walk into a library and I smell the library, it's always like, oh, elementary school. I just, it smells like elementary school. Um, I, I remember a few years ago, my, my mother was being moved to assisted living, and we were in the process of getting rid of all the things that were in the house and selling the house. And, and I remember when the house was selling, I walked into that house. This is the house I moved into when I was like two years old. 
And this was like two years ago. So that's a long period of time for this house to be in my life, right? And I remember taking a big, <sighs> this is the last time I'll smell this. It's, it's a powerful memory. You know, maybe you have smells that remind you of certain things. Maybe songs. Maybe you're a song person. Maybe you hear a song on the radio and you're like, oh, that reminds me of high school or that reminds me of this period of time. You know, every time I hear the Beatles album, the Blue album, I think of going to my dad's in California, and that was like the soundtrack of the summer, right? Maybe it's a taste. Maybe one of you in here, you have grandma's secret recipe for whatever it is. Maybe it's a, an apple pie or a chicken casserole, and every time you bake that or every time you, you eat that, you're like, oh, it's like going to grandma's house. Anybody have those memories? So Peter here, he says, listen, we need to be reminded of the gospel. And the reason we need to be reminded of the gospel is because we may have a knowledge of it, but we can easily forget it. We can easily put it into the back part of our memory and go along our life and function just like the things that are around us matter more than what Jesus Christ did for us. We need to be reminded of the gospel because it's the gateway to godliness. As Paul Tripp says, no one is more influential in your life than you are. Because no one talks to you more than you do. Therefore, we need to daily preach the gospel to ourselves. There's a difference between merely reminding ourselves of truth and preaching to ourselves the truth of the gospel. The latter is self-consciously and intentionally reminding ourselves of the person and the presence and the provisions of the Redeemer. We need to daily remind ourselves of the gospel. This is why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, Now, I would remind you, brothers of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Listen, this is of first importance. And so Paul says, let me, let me remind you of the gospel. I need, to, I need to remind you of what Christ has done on your behalf, that he was living the perfect life, that he died the death that you should have died, that he was buried, and that he defeated death and sin, and now he's risen to newness of life, and now he offers that resurrection life to you as believers. That's of first importance. That's why he says in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, to also the Greek. Listen, we need to be reminded of the gospel because it is the power unto salvation. It's the gateway to godliness. So what is the gospel? What is euanglion? What is this good message? What is the good news? That's what it translates to. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins. He rose again, and he's eternally triumphant over our enemy, over sin, so now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but only everlasting joy for those who are in him. That's good news. Can I remind you of it today? You know, as, as, a, as a church that strives to be a gospel-centered church, then, then we should preach the gospel. You know, there's a lot of teaching out there about good works, about good things, about how to, how to deal with so-and-so and deal with this and 12 steps towards that or whatever it is. And so... Those are messages that are about our good works. But what about the messages about the good news? The good news really is the gateway to godliness, not moral conformity. 
Because the gospel is not about you. Did you know that? The gospel is about what Christ did. The gospel is about what Christ has done in and through his son, Jesus Christ, and his redemptive work. So the gospel is about Jesus. Today we're here, and we're here for really one reason. Do you know why? Jesus. I mean, really, if if we're here for any other reason, we missed it. We're here for the gospel. This is why we sing songs about the gospel. We are to remind ourselves of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. So the gospel is about Jesus, what he did, his life of perfect obedience, his atoning death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension into heaven, his outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church, and his promised return. And this is what Peter is aiming at, to remind his readers, the Christians of that day, of the gospel. John Murray says, Christ in his death and resurrection broke the power of sin, triumphed over the God of this world, the prince of darkness, executed judgment upon this world and its ruler, and by that victory delivered all those who were united to him from the power of darkness and translated them into his own kingdom. So intimate is the union between Christ and his people that they are partakers with him in all of these triumphal achievements and therefore died to sin, rose with Christ in the power of his resurrection. That's good news today. That is good news. So as Peter writes, he wants to first affirm the fact that believers have been given God's divine power, that they are now given all things that lead unto godliness. And so we should do every effort in order to bring those things to the surface. And so as we do that, we need to remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. As I said last week, if all you have for the assurance of your salvation is a one-time decision, maybe you prayed a prayer, you raised a hand, you walked an aisle, but there's been no progressive sanctification that has taken place in your life to prove that he is working out his character in you, then what assurance do you really have? Second Peter. Chapter 1, verse 12 through 21. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to, at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, For we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along, by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We ask God that today it would be a light shining in a dark place, that it would lead us unto godliness, 
that would lead us into a deeper relationship with you and that we would remember today the sacrifice that has been made for us so that we could be brought back into a right relationship. We thank you that you have forgiven us of our sin and that you have placed your spirit within us. You've given us all things that are needed for a life of godliness and help us to have a desire, a burning desire to pursue you with everything that we have. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as we grow in godliness or as we look at the gateway to godliness, we must remember, first of all, apostolic wisdom. Apostolic is simply just saying the apostles, okay? So apostolic is where we're going to land on this word over and over and over. But what is apostolic wisdom? Well, apostolic wisdom was really the apostles' teaching. So as we look to work our way or go through the gateway to godliness or grow in godliness, we need to remember what the apostles taught. And so how do we know what the apostles taught? Well, it's recorded for us in the New Testament, thank goodness. And so we can even see that in Acts chapter 2, as the church was being formed, it was formed out of the words that were being spoken by Peter. He was preaching the gospel. And so after preaching the gospel, the church is formed. And so Acts chapter 2, I'm going to look at 22 through 24 and then skip down to 36 through 39. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So he begins with a, a, a message, a gospel message of what Jesus Christ has done in the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It goes, goes down to verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This is the first sermon given. Peter now proclaiming what Jesus Christ has done. And he says, this was all done by God's plan. God's God's plan here. And so let me just remind you that as the gospel is proclaimed, as the good news, as the wisdom, the apostolic wisdom is proclaimed, there is a response. And what is the response? Repentance and baptism. Repentance. They were cut to the heart because of the message of Jesus Christ. And so when we realize the message of Jesus Christ, it should lead us towards repentance. And listen, it should also lead us towards obedience. And here, the first sign of obedience is baptism. And, and I'm just going to say, like, baptism is not, not a suggestion in Scripture. It's a command for those who follow after him that I would say, I will publicly display that I have been united with Christ. And so I want everyone to see that I am fully immersed with him, that I am dead to my old way and I'm risen to newness of life. And so I, I implore you that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a follower, if you're a believer in Christ and you've not walked through the waters of baptism, then you're walking in disobedience right now. And so I, I call you to repentance into obedience. This is the first thing we see. This was the apostolic wisdom. This was the teaching that came forth from the apostles. Ephesians 2, 19 through 20, Paul would say this, so then 
You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So you are the church built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So he's saying, listen, the church here today, gathered today, is built upon the apostolic wisdom, the proclamation of the gospel that was preached. So 2 Peter verse 12, chapter 1. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. These qualities. Here, Peter has been referring to all of these qualities that have been mentioned. That's why I started with giving you a short recap. He wants us to remember our position. We've received salvation as a gift. We've obtained a faith and not of our works. He wants us to remember our personal knowledge with Christ is growing and should be growing. He wants to remind us that our practical life should lead towards godliness, that our participation should be with the divine nature of God. We should be abiding in him. He wants to remind us that we have a possession of really great promises, not only of, uh, of being separated from sin in eternity, but being freed from its power even now. He wants to remind us that we are to be proving and demonstrating our calling and election by the way that we pursue Christ, that we should be pursuing efforts in moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and Christian love. I want to remind you of these things, he says. And Peter wanted to remind them because there's always a subtle danger of forgetting. Isn't it? Hey, you know, I, the, the older I get, and I'm not, I'm not that old, right? But the older I get, I, I'll hear someone say, do you remember when this happened? And I'll go, I completely forgot about that. Are you with me? I completely forgot that story. I forgot, I forgot that happened. We have a tendency to forget, and so as we are followers, we need to be reminded of these things because the danger is that we can fall into heresy. No matter how long we've been a believer or what level we feel like we've achieved in our Christianity, we need to be reminded of the gospel. Philippians 3.1, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Paul would say, listen, you need to be reminded because it, it's safe for you. It keeps you on the right path. Tony Marita would say this passage is so important because it reminds believers of their need to stay focused on the true gospel of Jesus. As mentioned, salvation isn't about knowing some things about Jesus, but it's also not about doing religious things to earn acceptance before Jesus. This text really speaks against the problem of legalism. That is the temptation to derive our justification before God, our acceptance by God, and your forgiveness from God by your own religious works. We're reminded here that you can't earn salvation. It's a gift to be received. But even dedicated Christians have a tendency to forget the gospel daily. They have a tendency to revert back to legalism. Legalism is self-atonement. It's self-salvation project that only leads to pride or despair. We must resist the gospel of human achievements. If we're not reminded of what Christ did, we'll start to focus on what we do. And we'll begin to think, you know what? I'm doing pretty good because of what I'm doing. And so we need to fight against that legalism. We need to be reminded of the gospel, that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Verse 13, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. 
as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Stir you up. What's interesting about this, it, it really means to awaken to reminder. The word stir you up is also used to describe the uh, imagery of a storm that came upon the waters. And it's also used in the story where Peter walks on the water. And so in Peter's imagery, he's like, listen, just like the storm just whipped up on those waters and, and began to cause all the waves, I want to whip you up into remembering the gospel. I want, I want you to know this because the putting off of my body will be soon. He says, listen, the time is short. Commentators would think that uh, Peter's probably in his 60s at this point. He's been faithful, and he knows his death is near. And he knew this because the Lord Jesus had told him how he would die. In John chapter 21, 18 through 19, it says, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. I mean, Jesus really says, listen, I know how you're going to die, and you're going to die by crucifixion. You're going to, you're going to be led where you don't want to be led, and you're going to, be, you're going to be stretched out, and you're going to be murdered because you follow me. So, hey, Peter, follow me. Follow me. Tradition says that Peter was crucified, and he was crucified upside down in Rome. Peter was going to use what little time he had left here on earth to stir people into remembering the gospel. You know, we're not promised tomorrow. We're not. And so I would say, with what time you have left, will you use it to stir people up to remember the gospel? We grow in godliness by remembering the apostolic witness. So the gateway to godliness, we must remember apostolic witness. So verse 15, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Paul now shifts from his teaching, the wisdom, to his eyewitness, the validation of the gospel. He says, I can validate this because I saw it and I heard it. I was there. And he, he references the fact that there are all kinds of myths that are starting to circulate. There's all types of people who are referring to stories that may or may not have been true, and they're making up their own stories. And so they're coming in as false teachers, and they're saying, oh, that's not real. Uh, that's, that's made up. That's make-believe. And so he's, Peter's saying, listen, this is true. This isn't made up. This isn't some myth. This is what I actually witnessed. And so he talks about the transfiguration. He says there, verse 17, for when, I received, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So we see this in Mark's account. Mark would have been writing with, with Peter's assistance here. And so let's, let's look at that in Mark 9, 1 through 8. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. That's important. And after six days, Jesus took him, Peter, and James, 
and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Mo with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Verse 5. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. This is what Peter's referencing. He's saying, listen, I was there. I was an eyewitness account. I got to see Jesus Christ in his, in his glory, in his, in his kingdom form here. He says, I, I'm not just following myths. I'm not just telling you stories. I'm telling you what I saw. So there's three reminders from the eyewitness account. Number one, Jesus Christ's transfiguration was a preview of the kingdom of God on earth and an assurance that Christ would come a second time to establish his kingdom over the earth. So what we see is that from verse 1, And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. He's saying to them, look, the three of you, you're going to get to see in the future. You're going to get to see my, my kingdom state, me in power. This is a picture of the second coming of Jesus. So they get to see exactly what took place, that one day he will return in all power and glory. Number two, that Jesus Christ is indeed the eternal son of God. This is important. He's saying, I have an eyewitness account. I know for a fact that Jesus is the son of God. In John 20, 31, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's important to believe that Jesus is the Son of God because when you say that Jesus is the Son of God, you're declaring Jesus Christ as Lord. You're saying that he is the long-awaited Messiah, that Jesus is the one who came from the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. You're saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is the one who is the second Adam. He's the better Adam, as we just sang. I believe that he is the chosen one, the son of God, the chosen Israel that he would reveal himself through. I believe that he is the greater king in the line of David, that he would lead his people unto salvation. Not only that, but I believe that he is of divine nature, that he is fully God in the flesh. This is what the transfiguration is, is teaching us, that Jesus is the Son of God. And thirdly, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of both the law and the prophets. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. He says, And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son, listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Listen to him. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? That the voice from heaven would say, hey, this is my son. I want, you to, I want you to listen to him. Well, this would take us back to Deuteronomy 18, 15, 18 through 19. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among your, their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to, 
to them all that I command him. The voice from heaven says that Jesus fulfills both the law and the prophets. In Hebrews 1, 1 through 5 says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Listen, this is Jesus Christ. This is the eyewitness account of Peter. He's saying, listen, I was on the mountain, and I know for a fact that he fulfills the law, he fulfills the prophets. He's the long-awaited one. He's the son of God. He's divine in nature, and he was there, and I got to see him in his glorified state. And now he is at the right hand of the Father, and there is radiance, and there is, he is superior. It says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? No, he is the begotten son of God. There is no one like Jesus Christ. And so let me remind you today of Jesus. The gospel is the gateway into godliness, and we must remember it. We must remember who Jesus is, not because of things or stories we've heard, but because there are eyewitness accounts that Jesus is the Son of God. So to grow in godliness, we must hold to the apostolic teachings. We must listen to the proclamation of the gospel that was birthing the church, and we must, we must hold to the eyewitness accounts. And then finally, we must remember the apostolic word. The gateway to godliness would be to remember the apostolic word. Look at verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in the dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You know what you need to remember for the gateway to godliness? The word. This was given to us. This was divinely inspired. The, the men of God who penned this did not come up with this on their own, but the Holy Spirit carried them along and gave them the truth. We have the canonization of Scripture. And it says, you know what, you'll, you'll do well to pay attention to it. But how often is it neglected? How often do we set it aside? You see, if you, if you set the word of God aside, then how can you expect to have the gateway towards godliness? We have God's word fully confirmed. We have the gospel account of full eyewitnesses written down by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. As Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He says there that it should be a lamp shining in a dark place. God's word leading us through the darkest times of life. 2 Timothy 3.16-17 All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete Equipped for every good work. Verse 19, and we have the prophetic word, more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns 
and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter, again, he's going to use a nautical term. And the nautical term means to hold a ship in a direction that it can sail towards. So Peter's saying, in a sense, that we should hold our course towards a final destination because there is a light shining in the darkness. So you, you set your course on that light until the dawn rises, until Christ returns. So set your mark. Let the word of God be your God. Listen to the eyewitness accounts of the apostles, the one who saw Jesus in the flesh and saw him also in his glorified state, knowing that one day he will return. This is the gospel that we remember, that we hold to. And we know that one day he will return. You know, our behavior depends in large part on what we believe about Jesus. Do you know that? Our behavior depends in large part on what we believe about Jesus. But our, our behavior also depends on what we believe about Jesus' return. Church, do you, do you believe he's coming again? I mean, we've got Peter's eyewitness account. Like, this is, this is going to happen. He's going to return in a glorified state. He's going to establish his kingdom. Are you ready for his return? Have you set your course towards godliness in preparation for the day that the dawn rises, the sun rises? I know that he will return. So keep your lamps lit. Hold to the apostles' wisdom. Remember the apostles' eyewitnesses. Remember the apostolic word that has been given to us and know that one day he will return. Revelation 3, 1 through 3. As he writes to the church of Sardis, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. You see the word there? Remember. Then what you received and heard Keep it and repent. For you will not wake up. For if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Church, a lot of us need to wake up. We need to remember. We need to remember the word that was given to us a long time ago. And you know what we need to do with it? We need to keep it. And then we need to repent. There is a response. We need to remember, church, he's coming back. Ray Pritchard says, we are so messed up by sin that we need to repent of every single day. We even need to repent of our repentance because we are worse off than we ever thought. So today, remember the gospel. Remember what Christ has done. Hold your course. Keep your lamp lit in a world full of darkness and repent. There's not one of us here today that if Jesus returned would not have something to repent of. Am I right?